good to be with the family this morning. Welcome to our Cactus Chapel venue and online communities as they're joining us now. It is good to be here. Uh, as we've all kind of realized, summer's sort of coming to an end. My kids start school Tuesday, as crazy as that is. People tell me it's fall. That's what I've heard. We'll experience that in mid-October, but it's good to be here with you as we start a two-part series called Little Lies. And it's something Kevin and I sat down a month or so ago and said, all right, man, we got two weeks. It's always fun to do things together. And so we kind of sat down and said, what do you want to do? So Kevin and I decided, let's take on some more of these thoughts and ideas that we struggle with, things that we can sit down and believe about ourselves, about God, that get in the way of us knowing the truth of who he is. And so I thought the the best way to do that is to sit down and to kind of tell you a story. I love to tell stories. Anybody who's ever gone to dinner with me will tell you. No, yeah, that's true. Three-hour dinner. We didn't get away. We couldn't fight our way out of it. So, But I love to tell stories. And this one's about a guy that many of us know and remember. This guy named Terrell Owens. You guys remember Terrell Owens? He's been in the news lately. Okay, Hall of Fame. And he kind of decided, you know, I don't want to go to the Hall of Fame. Okay, that's great. But Terrell Owens was an amazing receiver in the NFL. Incredibly well-decorated. I've I've spent time talking to guys who have played with him in the NFL. And I said, what was this guy like? And they said two words, hyper-athlete. The guy was a freak. He was just amazing. He he did things that just kind of didn't make sense. And of all the things that he did on the field, Terrell Owens was remembered so fondly for his antics. He was the guy who would score a touchdown, and when he was with the Cowboys, he grabbed popcorn out of a fan's hand and dumped it into his helmet, and you know, he'd score a touchdown, he'd have the ball in his hand, get to the end zone, he gets to the end zone, pulls a Sharpie out of his football pants, okay? I'm like, this guy's got a pen on him on the football field? I can't find a pen at the bank. Like, <laughs> signs the ball, whoop, gets himself fined, and he was always screaming things on the sideline. Just crazy things that you were like, this has to be just the most self-centered, wildly self-focused individual I've ever met, ever heard of. But the reality is, and this is true for me in many cases, when I hear somebody's story, I start to understand the individual behind the behavior. Does that make sense? Now, this person's still accountable for their behavior. They're not off the hook. They got to figure that out. But I start to understand a little more of the why about the what. And for Terrell Owens, what many of us don't know about him is he was born in Alexander City, Alabama, and his mom was 16 years old when she gave birth to him. And so Terrell was raised predominantly by his grandmother, who was an incredibly strict woman. There's a great documentary called A Football Life. You'll see a clip of it here in just a second. But he says, I can remember hearing a basketball being dribbled across the street, and I can remember wanting to go and to play. But I knew if I got caught out playing in the neighborhood, I'd get a whooping. He said, you know, my my grandmother's a very strict woman. She raised me how she was raised. And she never told me she loved me, but I knew that she did. That was kind of his experience with family until he was about 11 years old and he had a very jarring experience. I want you to watch this video clip just real quick. Marilyn Hurd was 16 years old when she gave birth to Terrell. Eleven years passed until he learned the identity of his father. He would solve that mystery by meeting the father of the girls who lived across the street. You know, I'm kind of crushing on one of them, and I think, you know, 
the other sisters kind of noticed it, and um, so they start, you know, having this little chant like "Tara likes Lisa, Tara likes Lisa." I had to, I had to call them in the house and tell them, "You understand?" Because I, you know, because they sisters brothers, you understand what I'm saying? At that point, I, I'm sure he felt there was a need to tell me um, and address that, you know, I can't like my the girl across the street because that was in fact my sister. We should have told him. It just. I don't know, we just, we just couldn't find the right time to do it. It wasn't a good or a bad relationship, I think, because he was still married. And there were some, probably some resentment, you know, uh, towards me um, because of that. Children have a way of hiding things, but I think as he got older, he realized, you know, how much it did bother him. I think a lot of what, what he went through at a young age had a lot to do with his personality. A lot of the stuff that T.O. goes through, T.O. brings him on, on himself. I, I do believe he has the trust issues. I told you, they hate to love me! I want you to look at that face right there. That little boy is still hurting inside of that gigantic man. That little boy, you can see he's confused. He doesn't understand why. He is still screaming on an NFL sideline the same thing that's been true for his entire life. They hate to love me. They hate to love me. Because his experience in family was being a little boy across the street and finding out that the man that he needed the most was right over there. There's a question for you at the top of your sermon notes today. It's which is worse, to have no dad or to have a dad and realize that he does not want a relationship with you? I could make an argument today that had Terrell Owens' father simply passed away before he knew him, before he came to know him, before he was born, it would have still been very difficult. It would have been a reconciliation process he would have had to work through, but he would have reconciled it as, I have to move on. But he had something far more challenging. Dad was there. He was across the street with his real family, and I'm over here. I hear the basketball dribbling, but I'll actually be disciplined if I go and play with those kids. The reason I want you to see this today is because I think this experience exists in church. I think we have so many who come in to churches, they come into the family, children of God, and as they walk in, they start to listen around the family, brothers and sisters in Christ who have a heavenly father, the same as their own, and they start asking questions. Those questions will be things like, um, tell me about dad. And, and as Christians, we have all the right answers, don't we? Well, well he's amazing. Oh, Dad's the best. He's so encouraging. He loves me. Oh, oh yeah, wasn't worship great today? We, we spent some time. I feel so close to Dad. Me and Dad did this. Dad told me this. I read this about Dad, and I found it to be true. And some individuals sit back, and they feel like a little kid across the street who just can't get to Dad the relationship they need the most, the rest of the family's telling them they should feel loved, they should feel cared for, but they feel like the kid across the street. 
And the reason they feel this way is because they believe a little lie. It's a little lie that we're going to talk about today. It's the little lie that God is distant. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, today is a tough day for some of us. Even hearing feedback from last night, as many were moved just based on the fact that their earthly experience with the Father was very different than what you offer in this eternal family. God, I just pray right now, would you do something supernatural, a miracle? Would you just clear away some of our earthly experiences just for the next 30 minutes? Would you just clear them aside? Would you bring us into a place of almost neutrality that we can hear you maybe for the first time as you are desiring, rejoicing over us, calling us your treasure, that we would hear your love and that it would penetrate our hearts. We would start to understand what relationship with you looks like and what you offer for us. God, just, I, I pray that you would just do what you do in the hearts of your children today. I just de- declare complete helplessness and an ability to change any heart anywhere. Lord, you do that work, and without you, nothing will take place today. We give this time and our hearts and our earthly experiences to you to redeem. We pray this in your name. Amen. And so, okay, to do this, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage out of 1 John. And it's going to be 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3. Three simple verses that I think do such a powerful job of speaking to this concept of family. They're at the bottom of your sermon notes, so you can read there, but I'm going to read them aloud for us right now. It says this. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, because, uh, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This first verse is just loaded. It is packed with wonderful, important things. We almost have to break it down word for word. The first word is so important. It's an imperative verb, which is how the Greek language says, focus, look here, this is important. It's the word see. It says see. It's as if the author John is saying, come and look at something. I've found something. It's as if he's saying, family, brothers, sisters, I have located something that I want you to come and see. His letter is inviting us to partake in something. Kind of begs the question, well, John, what have you found? And he says this, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love the Father has given to us? Again, this kind of begs a question, okay, we have a Father He's given us love. One might be kind of uh, prompted to ask, what does God's love look like? Anybody ever ask that question? What, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What, practically, Rustin, tell me what God's love is. I love the response from John in this passage. He says this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. What does that love look like? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Do you guys ever think about that? That just 
Just being called a child of God is his love. So many times we connect God's love to how are my business endeavors going? How are my children doing? How am I feeling today? What's my emotional state? Is my marriage going well? This is how I know if God loves me and God goes, oh gosh, you are way out in front. Before you start your day, just being called one of my children, that's where it starts. You see, my love is shown in the fact that you can't be born into this family, you are adopted into this family. Adoption is this beautiful thing where it's, it's not a birthright, it's a compassionate move on, be part, on part of someone who says, I want to bring you in to a family because you are in need. That's the process of adoption. And that's what this heavenly father did. And he said, my family's actually not gonna look like most families that you've seen before. Revelation seven says, my family will be every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. The way we might word that today in modern language is it will be every ethnicity, socioeconomic group, and political party. Everybody says the same thing. Well, that sounds messy. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That sounds like a, a really tricky thing to try and work out a family like that. One might even be inclined to look around the rooms that you're in today and say, this is the family? Hmm, y'all don't look like much. One might be inclined to respond to you and say, you're no prize yourself. <laughs> the family's tricky, isn't it? All families are tricky. But God says with this adopted family, it's gonna look like a beautiful blended mess and I'm going to preside over it as the father. The thing that you got to realize is that the best part of any healthy family is time with dad and it's for sure the best part of this one. God loves the experience of doing life with us. I was reading a passage out of Zephaniah today where it says that he rejoices over us. He comes to find us. He is a God that saves and he rejoices over us. We miss that sometimes. I think we have a tough time getting to the reality of God's desire for us. Okay, we kind of get ground down into this false humility of it's really just me that wants to be with him. No. No, he wants to be with you. I think a couple of things get in our way. Today, I'm going to call it our American lens. I'm going to talk about our culture for a little bit. To be an American is almost assuredly to be driven by an economic thinking. And here's what I mean by that. Anybody ever been in a hurry? Just two of you that were honest. I appreciate that. It's very sweet. Thanks. It must just be me. We're in a hurry, aren't we? We're trying to be more efficient with our time. We're trying to produce more. And I think what happened, you know, get to the end of the workday and it's, what are we trying to do? We're trying to crank out one more email, one more phone call, one more quick conversation. Husbands, wives, you ever walked into the house and go, sorry, I meant to be home 30 minutes ago. What do you know happened? I, you know, I walked down the hall and I started a conversation. My wife's to my left. She knows I do it all the time. She, she, oh, you got tied up. Okay, great. You know, I'm always trying to do one last thing. You know, we take that into our relationship with God all the time. What it looks like is this, God will be working on something, and so in my own life, it'll be, anybody ever got brave in prayer? 
right? You had one of those, everything was going really good in your life and you just got on your knees. You're like, oh Lord, me and you were going to take this one on. We're going to go get this thing. And then six months later, he started the work and you went, it's only kidding. I wasn't serious about that. And the Lord starts a process and he goes, all right, you asked for this. Now we're in it. I'm so glad you asked for it because now we're going to start the process of rooting this thing out of your life. And the Lord knows the exact timetable. It's going to take 10 months, Rustin. I'm not going to let it take 11. And if I do it in nine, you'll die. Okay? You can't handle the restoration any faster than 10 months. Okay? So that's how long it's going to take. But here's God's heart. In that 10-month period, could maybe me and you just be together? It's going to take 10 months. I can't speed the process up because you can't handle it. So in the meantime, could we just be together? Because the best part of your life is being with me. Even when things are tough, even when things are great, it's always just be with me. Another thing that gets in our way is the fact that sometimes we think God only shows up for specific reasons. When was the first time Terrell Owens met his father? It was when he walked across the street to tell him he'd done something wrong. You see that? First time Terrell Owens' dad introduced himself was, hey, how's it going? I'm your father. Um, You can't date her. She's your sister. I'll be across the street with my family if you need me. Oh, anybody feel that way about God the Father? Anybody feel like God only shows up when it's time to tell you that you're wrong? That ain't how it works. That's not real. You see, the reality is he's presiding over your life going, listen, we're going to keep doing things together, but Everyone goes, well, but I don't feel him in these. He didn't move. He's right there rejoicing over you like a great father. He didn't just walk across the street to tell you that something's wrong. He's standing there going, yeah, no, this thing ain't good for you. And oh, by the way, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. I had a, an eye-opening experience as a parent over the last couple of weeks. I'll just tell you guys, prepping sermons is sometimes the worst because the Lord just gives you revelation and good revelation is sometimes hard to apply. So you sit there and you're just, all right, I'm gonna work on this sermon. I want this to be really good. And then the Lord starts applying it to your life and you're like, maybe I just preach a bad sermon. Maybe that'd be better. <laughs> I'm sitting there and we have a routine right now in our house. My son is four and a half. His name's McCoy. Uh, he greets me every day at the door. This is kind of a thing. I don't know if anyone else is having trouble. Anyone having trouble keeping clothes on their kids? Is this a thing for anyone else? My son shows up every day. He never has a shirt on. I'll be honest. If I looked like him, I wouldn't wear a shirt either. Okay, his tan little body. He's no fat on him. I'm going, I would love to look like that. How are you doing this? This is a thing for you. And I just sit there and he shows up. And right now, his favorite thing, he comes to the door. Hey, dad, do you want to play Mario? And I'm like, it's what I live for. Let's do some Mario. That'd be great. When he's not taking my house apart or costing me money by breaking something in the backyard, he's on the Wii. He just thinks the Wii's the greatest thing. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm a child of the 80s, okay? So I was born in 1982. Nintendo was a big deal. But Nintendo has jumped the shark. Like, they have screwed up video games entirely. When I was a kid, the way that it worked was like this. Player one played and died. Player two then played and died. In a diabolical scheme to set friends and family against each other to get children written out of wills, this is how Nintendo works now, okay? Player one and player two are on the same screen at the same time. And they can, up to three and four, by the way, you can have four players on the same screen. It's a bundle of confusion. And and we're sitting there and we can both positively and negatively affect each other. 
This is how it works. So you guys can see this one coming from a mile away. I jump, McCoy jumps, he knocks me into a pit, I die, okay? He immediately panics, sorry dad, goes into a bubble that I now can't get him out of because I'm dead and we have to restart the level. We've been on the same level for six weeks. <laughs> it's killing me, okay? Now, I'd like to tell you, listen, after six and a half months of this same experience because I'm patient and wonderful, I finally got frustrated and I said, son, this isn't working for me. That ain't how it happened. After about the third or fourth time of this happening, like day after day after day, I finally just went, hey buddy, and I popped my remote down between my legs and said, I don't wanna do this anymore, this isn't fun. Now I know, this is not my parenting move of the year, I'm not gonna get any awards for this, but God gave me a moment. Parents, you can affirm this. The Lord ever give you a glimpse into your child's heart? The Lord just gives you like a clairvoyant little thing where all of a sudden you're sitting there and you go, oh, you're letting me feel something that they're feeling right now. I think this is an intuition that God gives parents. I'm gonna let you feel this right now. And I was sitting there and all of a sudden uh, I looked down and my son has a genuinely confused look on his face. And he's looking up at me and the Lord's just going, go ahead. And he's just filling in the blanks. And my son's looking at me and inside I just know what he's feeling. Dad, what's, what's the problem? I don't understand, Dad. I just want to be with you. <laughs> Dad, I don't care if we ever get to world eight. I don't care if we ever beat the pipe level. <laughs> the best part of this thing is just being with you. You know what's really humbling as a man, as a dad, as a Christian, as a pastor? It's when your four and a half year old is doing a better job reflecting the heart of the father than you are. You see, that's the heart of God, isn't it? Hey, Russ, what are you in such a hurry for? Why are you trying to crush through this 10-month period? What's the rush? The best part of your life is just being with me. You're hurrying through the best part of your life. For what? For why? What's the deal? And I'll promise you this. Someday when that little kid is 14 years old, and he's hurrying out of my house to go do something. Hey, hey bud, where, where are you off to? Oh, dad, I got practice, I got school, I got this, my friends are going to the mall, da, da, da. I would give anything to have his four-and-a-half-year-old sweaty little body tucked in next to me so close that I can't even find elbow room, and I'd love to have that time back. And the Lord just paused me for a minute and went, you're missing the best part. And in my relationship with you, Rustin, you're doing that in a lot of places too. You're missing the best part. The best part of your life, Rustin, is being with me. It's what you'll do for all of eternity. Partake in it now. This is heaven come to earth. You're experiencing me. Just be with me. Because the best part of your life on earth is being my child, and I rejoice over you. John doubles down. He goes into verse 2, and he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. There's a word I want to focus on here. Some of you may have picked up it on already, but he says, beloved, we are God's children now. It begs a question, doesn't it? When weren't we your children? Well, if we go back to verse one, let's just take a quick look at it. It says this at the end of verse one. The reason why the world does not know us, who's us, back up a little further, we're called children of God. The reason that the world does not know the children of God is it did not know him. Now, 
we got to talk about a reality, okay? There's an elephant in the room. I can just feel it. Everybody just went, where are we going? I brought a friend today. I'm not sure how this is going to go, okay? Stick with me. There's a time where we're not yet children of God. The adoption process has not taken place. And already, if you're in this room today, if you're in any of our rooms today, if you're at Cactus Chapel venue, you're online listening to this going, I'm about to turn this guy off, hang with me for just a minute. Because if you're in this room and you're just checking it out, you're online, you're listening in going, I just, I don't even want to show up just yet. I want to hear what these people have to say about God. We got to talk about something going on. You are seeking. You want to ask questions. Here's the first thing I want you to know. You are always welcome here. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You just want to hear more about it. You are always welcome in this church, and I'm so glad you're here. Okay? But there's a reality that Christianity gets some things said about it. And one of them is, you could probably say it with me, Christians are exclusive. This is the exclusivity. This is the velvet rope that no one can get past to get into your club, and you guys are the ones guarding the rope. I would like to submit to you a different perspective today just based on this family concept. There is no velvet rope to Christianity. That's not real. That's actually not fair. A velvet rope is something that's enforced to keep people out. You know what you need to get past a velvet rope? An invitation. The reality of the family of God is this. Is everybody in the family of God? No. But is everybody invited? Yes. The invitation is for everyone. In fact, when Jesus is walking the earth, he goes as far as to say, uh, the desire is that none should perish. None. I want none to perish. All are invited. But here's how this family works. All are invited, but the way you get into the family is you get to know dad. And dad's made it super clear. He goes, listen, you want to get to know me, get to know my son, Jesus Christ. If you've seen him, you've seen me. There's this beautiful invitation to all, but the sacrifice of Christ is yours for the taking. Uh, adoption as sons and daughters is yours for the taking. You have to get to know dad. Our goal at this church and hopefully every church is this. We just wanna tell you about dad. Our goal is not to pressure you or browbeat you. It's just simply to point you towards the one who has saved our lives the ones who we've come to know as dad. Because that's a beautiful thing. It's not that you get to know us, though we want to get to know you, we want to be in relationship with you. Knowing us will not do anything for your life. Knowing him as dad and becoming a part of the family, that's the most important question you will answer for all of eternity. See, every parent wants two things for their kids. They want them to be safe and they want them to be happy. Right, parents? That's real. We want them to be safe, we want them to be happy. The problem is, as parents, is that the world presents us with a whole bunch of dangerous and a whole bunch of unhappy. That's the world. It is a dangerous, unhappy place. And as earthly parents, at times, we can get in the way of things that are actually good for our kids to experience. Anyone ever overprotected their child? Yeah, right? I don't want them to have red dye number two. That's going to, you know, okay, well... But there's these realities where God's a perfect parent, and it's not just because he sits down and he says, listen, this world is dangerous and it is unhappy... You are going to experience its dangers and its unhappiness, but I will never leave you. Now, earthly parents can say that. We may overprotect at times we can say that. Here's what no earthly parent can say that a heavenly father can. 
I will use all things for the good of those who love me. I can't promise my kids that. I can't tell them that. I can't promise that I will use all the things in their life for their good. God can. Why? Because he changes hearts. He's the one who comes along and he says, I know that this is hard for you right now, but I'm going to use this for your good. And as kids, we go, but this is cancer. (laughs) This isn't good at all. There's no way you could use this for good. I'll use this for your good. I'll use this for their good. I will use this. And God is so good that he goes, listen, I can say that. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I'll use all things for the good of those who love me. The last verse, we're going to start bringing this to a close. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, who's John talking to? The children. This is a call to the children of God. To purify oneself. This is tricky, okay? Human nature abhors this. Do we understand that? Human nature hates having someone look at them and say, you need to change, even if it's the God of the universe. We're pretty good at pride, right? Doesn't matter how big or powerful you are, we have no problem looking at you and saying, I don't wanna change. I think I got this figured out. And God's so patient, he's like, all right, let me know how that works out for you, right? I'm not going anywhere, you can try that out. But he says this, John says, and everyone who thus purify, who hopes in him purifies himself. This verse does not say, and some of those who hope in him purify themselves, everyone. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself. See, that's important. I'm just gonna specify it down. Jamie, a lot of times, he'll talk to his generation. He says, you know, baby boomers, this is how we function. I'm gonna talk to my generation. I kind of get two. I'm right on the bubble between Gen X and millennials, so I sort of get to put my arms around the deal. And so my generation struggles with this a lot. It's holiness and righteousness. This is hard for us. And again, it's kind of because we've grown up with a cultural narrative that says you're awesome and everybody needs to accept you for your awesomeness, okay? That's the narrative. We've grown up around it. Yeah, if people don't accept you for who who they are, they're probably wrong. And you just keep on being awesome and don't worry, it'll sort itself out. That is counter to everything that we're designed for. It's like most people, if you ask, so you never want to change, you never want to grow? Like, well, no, I do. Great, that's all we're hoping for. Just knock it off. Like, just take a deep breath. Give the Lord some time. But holiness is hard because we want to believe that we'll be accepted exactly as we are. I say this a lot. The message of the church is come as you are, but it's not stay as you are. Why? Because it's not good for you. It's unloving. It's like looking at somebody who has a horrific disease and saying, don't take medicine, just keep on rocking that disease. It's great. You're going to love it. No, you're not. You're going to die. We want you to get healthy. And all of us have a desire to do that. But out of defensiveness, we sometimes don't. This is the single best quote I have ever heard on the topic of righteousness and holiness, okay? I'm gonna read it for you now. It's from a book called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilburn. He says this, God wants us to grow in holiness, not as some sort of test or punishment, not even as just preparation for the future, but because he wants us to enjoy his presence. He wants us not simply to press on, but to soar, When you fall, God rushes to you in love and cares for you. But because he loves you, he doesn't want you to keep falling. And this is my favorite part. Once we understand holiness in light of our union with Christ, it becomes beautiful to us. We see that God makes us beautiful because he is making us like him. And he is committed to us over the course of the whole journey. I've got you. You'll get there. 
just pedal. Here's the problem with life. We have a hole in all of us. It is an infinite hole and sin is finite. Sin is finite. We keep dumping sin into our infinite space in us and we can't figure out why it's not making a dent. It's because you were designed with an infinite space, a hole in you. You know who put it there? Your infinite father. Out of knowing that you would only be pleased with him, he went, I'm gonna make a space for myself in you. And you can sit there and dump all the finite sin you want in that thing, but it will not even make a dent. It is a black hole, it will consume everything. The best biblical example of this you've ever heard of is Solomon. That guy's richer than anybody you know and anybody we've heard of today. All the cedars of Lebanon, all this, all that. He sits back and he just starts writing in Ecclesiastes. It's all vapor. The word's vanity in our English translation. says vapor. It's vapor. All of it is vapor. People would come from all around the world. The planet came to Solomon because he was so wise. He says, Solomon, what about money? Have you dumped money in that infinite space? Vapor. What about women? Women are pretty cool. Yeah, the harems are full. Vapor. What about wine? You gotta have the best wine. Vapor. Food, vapor. None of it has made a dent. Solomon is the wealthiest man on planet Earth. And he's sitting there going, I've tried it all. None of it works. There's a reality for all of us that we struggle because we keep clinging to things that aren't filling our infinite space. That's what holiness is. You see, we think about it as extra credit. You see, I'm in this relationship with God. He loves me anyway. But if I really want some extra credit, I'll try to be righteous. I'll try to be holy. No. You'll try to be righteous. You'll try to be holy because this is a relationship and both parties give. He did his part. It's called the cross. That's what makes it beautiful. He goes, listen, I've done that. I've opened the door. You can now come to me. And what we're going to do is sit down and say, now we put things down that are killing us. Things that we're dumping into our infinite space that are a distraction from him. That's what holiness is. It's the road to getting to God. What's it say? It's because it's beautiful because he's making us like him and he's committed to us through the course of the journey. Practically, here's our problem. We try to self-generate holiness. We try to sit back in our lives and we try to go, all right, I'm gonna start kind of changing my behavior. I'm gonna start figuring out what this looks like. So I'm gonna start covering it up. You know what Jesus says to the Pharisees who did the same thing? You are whitewashing your tomb. The stuff that's inside you, it is dead, but you are putting a nice coat of paint on that thing. Open it up, it'll clear the room. Self-generated holiness is legalism. We just start covering up behaviors. And it actually comes with a wonderful little side uh, symptom called defensiveness. You don't want people to get too close to you because you're afraid they'll see the behavior that you've not truly dealt with, but you've just covered up. That is legalism. That's what it looks like. So the Pharisees, where do they stay? Behind the temple gates, behind the synagogue, so that no one could see them or touch them or make them unclean. We're doing the same thing in our churches. We don't have intimate relationships because people will see we're broken. 
We don't want anyone too close because they'll realize I haven't actually dealt with my heart. I'm still broken. Jamie's coming back in a couple weeks. Get you guys used to this. You're still broken. I did it last night by accident and just fell out of me and then they had the same response. Do it this morning. It's our problem. We want to cover it up. We don't want to deal with it. And what's hard about that, it's not authentic. You know what true righteousness and holiness comes with? It comes with this. Grace. When you actually have to stand in your life and you put your addiction down because it was devouring you, it produces grace and compassion in you. When you actually have to deal with, come to grips with, and put aside your broken parts of your marriage, it changes you. you. That's what it is, right? God comes in and repentance is bringing into the light what was in darkness. It humbles you. You know what you do? Because when God's working on the child, he's working for the family. Now he all of a sudden sits there and he goes, okay, child, now you go and care for another. Do you know how you care for another when you've had to face an addiction, when you've had to face a broken marriage? You start looking at the other children in the family and you start going, oh my gosh. Oh, it breaks my heart because your sin is still hurting you, isn't it? Now that person may be like, whoa, back up. I'm fine. I'm good. But God's given you insight. Oh no, I can see how it's killing you. It comes with grace for others. But self-generated legalism, that doesn't come with anything. You start to defend. Do you guys see this? This is really important. Holiness is critical to the Christian life. Now, I want you to leave with two things before we go to the communion table. I want you to see this. The first thing is, he is not distracted. He is not disappointed. He is a desiring dad. It's the first thing. Fill that in in your notes. I left you a space for that. He is a desiring dad. Okay, think about this. Terrell Owens had to go across the street to find his father. Here's the message of Christianity. Your father came across the street to find you. And he never left. He is still standing there knocking on the door of that house. The most important question you will answer in all of eternity is what did you do with dad? If you are sitting here today and you are going, I do not have a relationship with dad, my encouragement to you is come ask about one. It is a love like you have never experienced before. We are not here to add members to a club. We are simply here telling the same story Christians have been telling for years. There's a great dad and he wants to love you. That's the first step of getting into the family. To be called a child of God is to be called a child of a heavenly father. You come into the family, whether you like how we look or not, okay? Second thing, I want you to realize that the best parts of your life will be the precious moments with him. That's as good as it gets, gang. You go, I know, but there's all this other stuff that's fun. Yeah, just double check it. Because it could be blessing from him, but it could be pouring finite into the infinite. Until you put him in that space and you let him start to satiate your soul, you will try to dump all sorts of stuff into that. That is my encouragement for you this weekend, that you walk away knowing you have a desiring dad and the best part of your life will be precious moments with him. Let me pray for us. Father, Father, my prayer is this, that we would sit back and have the opportunity to see you for who you are. That there are these times in our lives where we get sidetracked with all these other things 
but that today the message of your love and your care would be heard. It would be felt, it would be palpable in the rooms, in the homes, in the car rides, that they, anyone here who does not know you as dad would hear the message that it is a call to love and from love. Father, my, my prayer is that you would work in the hearts of those who are hearing this message for the first time and that their response to dad would be, I want to know you better. God, at the same time, for those of us who are children, a part of the family wrestling through this life, the, the call of hope is that you're not done yet, that you're not done because we're not done. The fact that we are still living and breathing is indication that you are still working on us. God, my prayer is that the call to righteousness and holiness would be felt and would be connected to this beautiful journey with you and our connection and union to you. God, would you just continue to wash this message over us over and over again in the week and weeks to come that we would feel you and know you for who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.